programs. Welcome back to another episode of the Awesome Friday podcast. This week we are discussing two films, as we have been doing so far this time, uh, starting with the new Sony Pictures Animation film released on Netflix, Vivo, starring the musical stylings of one Lin-Manuel Miranda, and James Gunn's triumphant return to superhero filmmaking, The Suicide Squad, now in theaters, and if you're in the States, on HBO Max. With me, as always, is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hello, everyone. Nice to be back and nice for you to be listening to us again, I guess. I'm just assuming you are. <laughs> and we're not speaking to nobody. And, um, because, and because I just realized I didn't say so, my name is Matthew. Thank you. We are professional. We are professional. And just a note for the next hour that we saw the movie The Suicide Squad. We did not see the movie Suicide Squad, but for the rest of the next hour, we're going to be saying Suicide Squad. But when we say Suicide Squad, we're going to mean The Suicide Squad unless we specifically refer to Suicide Squad. And yeah, if that's, that's not it. confusing enough, maybe I'll just call them Task Force X. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, my kids love Teen Titans Go and Starfire and Teen Titans Go in one part of the episode demonstrates how you can make something more important by putting the in front of it. Mm-hmm. And she was, she was, uh, she's not wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So movies, movies are good. What have you been up to this yep. week, Simon? Let's do our usual banter before we launch right into um, things. Well what have i been doing what what With media TV? has thou consumed oh media right <laughs> um uh i've been watching the bad batch with my family and we love we love the bad batch my kids love it we also watch um we've been going through all the star wars this is this i bought them all on well i say all i bought the good ones on ultra hd on star wars day because i'm a whore for marketing mm. and uh, i bought the original trilogy and i bought rogue one and I bought Last Jedi on Ultra HD. So we worked through all of them. And we got to uh, Rise of Skywalker. And I'm not a fan of this movie uh, for many reasons. I'm not going to go into any of them right now because that would be a whole podcast. But I thought it was important that they finished their journey. Uh, and so we watched Rise of Skywalker last week. And uh, they loved it. My children loved it. Way more than... The Last Jedi, which just goes to show, kids have no fucking idea, really. But they, uh, they, I think, from rewatching, because it's only the second time I've seen, I've seen it. The Last Jedi, I think, appeals to us as older Star Wars fans, as it is an older Star Wars fans movie. And Return of Sk- uh, Rise of Skywalker is a lot more stupid and straightforward. And the reasons why I kind of dislike it. Also make it probably a bit easier to follow than The Last Jedi, but... Um... I, I think that's fair. I mean, I think the thing that we... As much as I think that The Last Jedi is probably my second favorite Star Wars movie after Star Wars, uh, and that's mm-hmm. mostly because I have a thing for, you know, you know first versions of things. Yeah. Um, it is very much a Star Wars movie made for, you know, me, the kid who watched Star Wars 30 yeah. years ago. Uh, whereas most of the rest of Star Wars, including the prequels, which lots of kids I know love, are yeah. stories about space wizards made for children. Absolutely. You know, I've mentioned to you before that I watched Phantom Menace with my son when he was seven, so it's about three years ago. And watching it with a kid actually is quite weirdly refreshing in, in how you view it because he really, really liked it. And we're, that my kids clear favorite of four to nine is return of the jedi they love return of the jedi or um in my house it's officially known as release the teddy bears um, <laughs> and, and they shout that during the ewok attack but i i have a sneaking suspicion that when we go back to the prequels and watch one two three i think they'll probably like phantom menace the most actually yeah. i think they might have a trouble with um What's the third one? Revenge of the Sith. So the, the transformation of to, from Anakin to Darth is pretty visceral. I don't think my daughter's going to get on with that. But um, Maybe don't watch the Clone Wars stuff before you watch Return Revenge of the Sith then, because like he's actually you know, a good character in that show. So it's, uh, <laughs> and uh, quite, you know, in many ways, very quite sympathetic. So 
Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because we watched all of Rebels, which was wonderful. Then we watched a lot of Bad Batch. And then um, the, uh, I can't say his name, Jersey Sad, the, the original, um, the Samurai Jack guy who did the first Clone Wars iterations. Yes. Jersey I can't remember his name. Anyway, we watched head. those ones together and they, they loved those. Um, so it's really interesting to me as a diehard Star Wars fan what they connect with especially as my son's way more into harry potter he's just like he'll watch star wars if he has to but my daughter likes star wars a lot more but she's turning to the potter side as well now thanks to my wife so um that battle only grows what have you been up to this week what else have you seen i have had a busy week of personal life bs um and (laughs) also the main thing i should probably shout out that we'll probably talk about here and I'm guessing two or maybe three weeks. I'm not sure the timing off the top of my head, but uh, the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal has started and we are thrilled to be attending virtually. And by we, I mean both of us because we are both accredited, which is nice. Yay. And I have started watching films. Um, and yeah, it's been, uh, there should be one on the site right now, I think, uh, with another one at least to follow. Uh, yes. That's why, yeah. This is Awesome Friday on a Sunday, so by Sunday there should be two, uh, and just watch for coverage. I, if all goes to plan, I'll be taking a personal week from the old day job uh, and should have much more coverage in the second week of the festival. It's great. I didn't realize, actually, that um, the, the coverage has started, that we could start writing about it, because I am very eager to sit through the Alien stage show, uh, Aliens on Stage, and uh, report back on that that's that's something that's going to be a highlight for me yeah yeah well we can uh we will definitely have more to say about it in the weeks to come yes um i I also got the chance to see a canadian indie film which will be coming out on demand and there's uh i'm not really supposed to talk about it yet but a film called black conflux and um it'll be coming out on demand later in the month along with a review from me just ahead of that release and i will be unless circumstances get in the way i'll be speaking with the director sometime next week as well so that's quite exciting great yeah um but shall we jump into this week's selection of two films what are we talking about this week i think we should start with speaking about the new sony pictures animation film vivo starring starring and featuring the musical stylings of uh lynn manuel miranda who and gloria arrested and Gloria Estefan and uh, a, a host of other people, really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Simon, why don't you take us away with a? You watched this more recently than I have, so why don't you yeah. take us a, away with a recap of the basic plot of Vivo? Okay, most basic plot is there's an old musician in Cuba who um, found and adopted a, a, a abandoned. Uh, Kinkajou, 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 which I kept hearing Pikachu, but it's not. It's Kinkajou, a <laughs> monkey, a monkey-esque creature called a Kinkajou, which is a a protected rare uh, animal, and um, through the power of music, uh, trains it to be a fully performing, singing, dancing, uh, maraca playing, drum playing, rapping monkey uh, animal voiced by Lynn Morel Miranda. So the opening mon- number is actually my favorite part of the whole movie where we are introduced to these two characters performing on the street in Cuba. Um, and for us, you, we, the audience can hear this, the Kinkachu speaking and rapping. Um, we, fa- we kind of discover later that other humans hear him just doing sort of animal squeaks, but it's a really vibrant opening. And so they, um, they are performing together, but the, the, uh, the, the man whose name I forget that Matt will remind me now. Uh, the character's name is uh, Andreas, and he is played by Juan de Marcos Gonzalez, who is so, actually quite a famous uh, Cuban like band leader musician. Right, so Andreas gets, gets a letter from Maria, old, old performance, old love, old performing partner who's performing a a final concert in Miami and uh, he wants to go. He wants to go see her, but um, the Kinkachu Vivo does not want to go. So they have an argument, but unfortunately the argument doesn't ever get resolved for, are we doing spoilers? 
I mean, it's the first thing that happens, and he's an animated single parent. I think we can say <laughs> that he's he's unable to go on this minute. quest to Miami yes. to meet his old flame because he passes away yes. and passes on this quest to his son figure. This, so, so, this is not an unusual trope in animated films that, like, if you're a single parent in the first act, uh, chances are you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> it's just how, how they work. So he wrote and just wrote this song for Maria. And Vivo believes it's then his, his quest to take this to Miami to, to play it to, for her, to give it to her. And um, in the process of this, he befriends a, a young girl from Miami who was tangentially related to Andres through a yeah. couple of layers of generations who happens to come to Cuba for the for the funeral and um, through hilarious hijinks ends up um, in Florida with her going through various Floridian highlights um, uh, meeting a, a, a selection of animation kids movie stereotypes and singing songs and rapping and um trying to get to maria and that's the movie and you can it probably is... work out what happens at the end indeed uh, i don't really think that we need to jump into too spoilery a discussion on this one and that is mostly because because honestly i don't know what you would rate this movie out of five but i gave it a two because i did not enjoy it <laughs> because if you've seen an animated film before, you have definitely seen this movie. And I don't, and like, I'm usually the first to say that like, it's the journey that's important. You know, when the movie's good, that's true. But this is just so like bland and, you know, it's checking all the like animated trope boxes along the way. And even most of the songs are pretty forgettable. Like you mentioned that opening number, the opening number is electric and amazing. And the second best, number in the whole movie is the last what? number in the movie which is a reprise of the first number in the movie yeah. <laughs> like um but like i mean they go on a quest they end up there's you know gabby has her antagonist and 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 vivo has his um uh the antagonists all eventually come around except for you know the one that they defeat um there's a series of other talking animals um there's two love star-crossed lover birds um i mean i could just go down the list of things that animated movies have that this movie has and none of What's it is that? particularly unique like there's no yeah. the big selling factor on this one for me really is that lin-manuel miranda is involved mm -hmm. and he's a very talented you know pulitzer prize winning he's won everything except for an oscar at this point basically yeah. um but none of the songs in this one feel particularly inspired. I imagine that your daughter probably loved Gabby's big <laughs> girl power anthem, which so that, I thought was that, fine. Yeah. Um, that song is interesting in how different it is from the rest of the songs. And your my daughter's listened to it probably about 10 times in the last yeah. 24 hours. Uh, but the it's without Lin-Manuel Miranda's input into this movie, yeah, I don't think it would have even been greenlit. It's like someone played Mad Libs with a children's animation, and it, it, every 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 moment that comes across that happens in their journey, every character they meet is just an, another card that's played from the from the pile of movies that an algorithm has decided is part of a successful kids movie. And the um, the the biggest problem with this movie is that it shared a lot stylistically and that its level of craziness that it was trying to get was quite similar with the chance of meatballs and what it does not have is any of that surprising element or creative spark that those two movies have and it, there's really nothing that interesting about any part of this journey which um which surprised me because i thought with with the, uh, the pedigree of some of the input of this movie, it might have been a bit more compelling. I, I mentioned to you um, about Over the Moon. You haven't seen Over the Moon yet, but Over the Moon is another 
kids movie heavy musical based kids movie and it's incredible because it does have the visuals and the creativity and the songs it's i think it should have won the oscar and i i i've seen all the nominations for oscar the last year and it, it should have won the oscar for me but this just was so bland the art style was bland the characters were bland the songs were largely bland the only parts I really liked were the 2D. There's a couple of parts where they go full 2D animation. Yeah, so there's a couple uh, of, of flashback sequences. And the 2D, those 2D flashbacks are I would one of the highlights of the movie for me as well. They are gorgeous. Mm. Um I also felt like, you know, the voice cast on board is pretty good. Lynn Memorand is, you know, a good actor. Um uh the uh well, I've lost his name in my brain. But uh, the guy who plays Andres is really good. Like the initial opening um, banter between Vivo and Andres, uh, sorry, Juan, Juan de Marcos Gonzalez. Um, I thought those parts were a highlight of the movie as well. I think he's really good. He's a really good, he's a world famous, like, you know, Cuban band leader. He's a really good singer. I really enjoyed those parts. Um, but also like, and I also enjoyed, you know, Michael Rooker plays a, you know, a hungry snake that threatens them in the middle part of the movie. And I like Michael Rooker every time I yeah. see or hear him, but there's just nothing to his character, really. Um, Zoe Saldana is on board as Gabby's mother, Rosa, and she's good. And it's nice to hear her with, you know, her more natural uh, accent, but also there's one moment in the movie where she sings and that one moment made me think why isn't she just singing the whole time <laughs> because she has a lovely voice and i wanted to hear more of it um yeah i just feel i don't know I, is, oh, sorry. the most polite way to put this is the way i usually put it which is that i just did not connect with this movie on any level really mm. i do think that some of the visuals are spectacular I thought that the, the the rendering of Miami is this like purple Tron city, purple neon Tron inspired city was pretty great. Um, I thought that you know the um, the character design for the most of the humans was quite good, although I felt that like Gabby was a bit much. Mm -hmm. um, and you know of course, Vivo the tiny monkey is wearing a jaunty fedora. Of course he is. Of course he is. But like um, the character design for uh, Andreas and Maria was fantastic. And the character design for the spoonbill birds in the middle was also fantastic. Um, basically what I'm saying is that like visually speaking, I think that it doesn't, there's nothing to really to complain about visually. It's just that the story wasn't really there. I, I, I totally agree. I, I... I was wondering when I was watching it if it would have been more interesting if Andres hadn't died and it had become more like Soul, where it focused on the old guy trying to get to his memory. Like, because he was a, a much more interesting protagonist than Vivo. And and it, you would have sidestepped some of the, the cliched craziness that happens later on, like hmm. falling onto boats and making rafts and, and talking to snakes and stuff. like. He, he was a very interesting character and the, the first part of that movie where it's for like Latino music influences is definitely the most interesting, I don't know. Yeah, and, and interestingly, and I say this as a guy who, you know, I have listened to basically everything that Lin-Manuel Miranda has written song-wise multiple times. Uh, I've listened to the In the Heights score more times than I can probably count. I still haven't watched that movie, but I have listened to this original Broadway musical score and 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 cast recording a lot. Um, and the songs in this don't really have that much in the way of any kind of like unique flavor. Like even his songs for Step Up the Musical have a unique sort of um, style to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But these songs just feel, the songs from Vivo just feel like they are like, cast-offs from yeah. in the heights and and, he has, uh, and that's he has and that's a, sort of weird you know yeah he has a very very distinct style of music as well the the mm -hmm. half singing the rapping where he rhymes the next line with the middle word of the previous line is something he loves to do and when it works it works like gangbusters but you're right when the songs aren't the top tier that they need to be it, it kind of it, you notice the pattern more than the music 
Mm-hmm. And I, I agree, the songs did feel a bit second right. Yeah, which is a shame because, like, all you know, this is a movie where basically all of the pieces are there for it to be good, and it's just kind of not. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of, it's, and what's interesting too is I almost, I didn't really know what to expect when you watched it because I watched it before you did and uh, I didn't know uh, what to expect in terms of your reaction to it because this movie is sitting on Rotten Tomatoes at 88% and I just like to just clarify something like Rotten Tomatoes is not a measure of quality it's a measure of consensus is that the audience no that's the I don't ever look I never look at the audience score Um, (laughs) but this movie's sitting at like 88% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's very sort of weird to me that we're both in the 12 percent about this you know mm-hmm. although i will say having read through some of those reviews after written mine that this is i think kind of a case where it's at 88 percent, but not a lot of the praise is effusive right like a lot of it is very it's one of those cases where like it's 88 percent, and probably 90 percent of those are giving it a, a pass you know like a three it's a three out of five which is fresh but it's a pretty middling fresh, you know, <laughs> like that's the problem with Rotten Tomatoes, right? It presents consensus as quality, which is false because if, if there's a movie that everyone says, yeah, it's fine. Then that, if everyone says it's fine, then it's a hundred percent and they present it as, you know, it's a great hundred percent movie, but it's just, everyone thinks it's fine. And I yeah. feel like this might be a case like that. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it was kind of a disappointment and that's uh disappointing to use a lack of a better word it is because i i I watch a lot of animated movies and tv shows obviously for obvious reasons (laughs) i watch a lot of them like most of our tv time has to incorporate two children so most of my tv choices are pg at at the at the limit but so it's really interesting that my kids really react to good animated now so they're starting to really pick up the elements of what makes good animated but they didn't really bond with vivo either <laughs> actually mm-hmm. my son was watching the new masters of the universe reboot the kevin smith one i don't know if you've heard about the furor over that i haven't paid attention to anything about it at all uh i i'm not going to get into it a lot of people in the masters of the uni uh, universe um reboot he man has basically killed in the first episode and it's all about um his ex-best friend who's a woman um taking charge going rogue and trying to fix everything and he's he's only in it in flashbacks so everyone's like he's not he made it too woke he's not human which i don't care it's fine if you haven't if you've seen shira shira is amazing the reboot of shira has similar kind of uh, attitudes towards everything and it's fantastic so it can be done my point is it's really terribly written and really badly directed. And at one point, my son, who is definitely on the spectrum where things like to, he likes things that happen really quickly and really sort of disjointed and jump around. At one point, he just looked at me and went, what is going on with this? Like, what, why, why are they doing this? Like, what is he talking about? Why are they, <laughs> and he just tore it apart. And he's right. So for them not to really connect with Vivo, uh, like said a lot to me as well, because they, the action, was wasn't as good as cloudy with a chance of meatballs and the songs were not as good as over the moon i mean they they've got many many yardsticks now for quality and this just wasn't up there with any of them well it's interesting that you keep to me that you keep comparing it to cloudy with a chance of meatballs because cloudy with a chance of meatballs was produced and directed by phil lord and chris miller who as far as i'm concerned can do no wrong like they have a basically a perfect track record when it comes to things they've project they've chosen and i've been following them just to be a bit of a hipster since before it was cool because the, my first exposure to them <laughs> was the was the what? was the animated television show they did for ytv in canada called clone high in the early zeros so i've followed them for a long time and they've done cloudy with a chance of meatballs and they've done 21 and 22 jump street and they did um uh the mitchells versus the machines and they produced so into the spider-verse and they just seem to have a sense of how things work. They really do. And while Vivo shares an animation house with them, because they do most of their work now with Sony Pictures Animation, they were not involved in this at all. 
the person who directed this movie is the same person who directed the crudes which to be fair i haven't seen but it's not exactly a revered work of cinema as far as i know so i think you know i don't want to say that there's like an a team and a b team or anything like that but i think that definitely i'm not sure that's a fair comparison i guess is what i'm trying to say because no i think i think i think you can compare when something's trying to have the same kind of tone oh no i'm not saying i'm not i'm not saying you can't compare it i'm just saying i think that like it's uh it's not fair to 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 vivo because they're just this is never going to live up oh like it's just never going to happen two things i love about this conversation that i'm going to just um add is that uh first of all clouding with a chance of meatballs two is not just one of the best animated movies but one of the best movies you're ever going to see so i have watched that movie so many times please if you haven't seen either the cloudy with a chance of meatballs don't be put off thinking it's a kid's movie or an animated movie. Go and watch those movies because the second one is one of the funniest, best, most creative movies you'll ever see. It's it's as good as Spider-Verse for me. And the second oh. thing is that one thing I love about you, one of the many things I love about Matt is that whenever um, anyone in our text group talks about Lord and Miller, the next text is, you have to see Clone High. Here's a link to Clone High. You should watch Clone High. Here are the places you can watch Clone High. And no one's, because no one's seen it in our group. And I think it drives you crazy because it, it's like, yeah, 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 no, we will. And um, and you are very, you're a big, like, you go to bat for Clone High, like every single time we talk about this. Well, you know why I do that? Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's fucking good. <laughs> it's interesting. I So I own that show and I rewatched a bunch of it recently. And it's interesting because it's definitely very early zeros. And it's definitely got some problematic elements, but it kind of always did. Like we're talking about a show that like a group of people in India did a hunger strike over because of its depiction of Gandhi as like an ADD diagnosed party person. Like it, like he's like, he's like that guy in high school. It's really funny, but I totally get why they didn't connect with it. Um, But you all should try and watch it because there's a reboot of that show coming and they are involved in it. Like Lord Mm. Miller are involved in it. So like, we are going to get more of it. And uh, I should make you watch it. We should podcast you about should. it sometime yeah. because it's really good. And I, I it's, it, it, it's, it, it's good. We should, we're just gonna get derailed if I keep talking. I have, so I have a, I have a list of media that is Matt's, I told you so list where um, he goes on and on and on about something until I watch it. And I go, yeah, you know, Creed's a really good movie. And all I get is uh, like giant block capitals. I told you so. And, and he did. And he was like, Yep, all of this is true. <laughs> and um, you're you're never usually wrong. I can't think of a time where you've been uh, that's something's been on the list and you've been wrong. They've all been pretty stellar. I was not expecting to like Creed. We won't talk about Creed. I was not expecting to like Creed. I have no interest in boxing. I don't like sports movies. And Creed is absolutely. I watched it twice in two nights. I watched it back to back because it was so good. But anyway, let's not talk yeah. about Creed. So that's very much like Vivo. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I wish Vivo would be like Creed. Oh my um, god! So I think in close, I think we can close up on Vivo now, yeah. just by saying that like it's definitely out there, and you know, I'm always on team. You should try watching it for yourself uh, because there's every chance you might connect with it. But neither of us did, and I think that's a shame. If you're on Netflix and spooling up Vivo, just go and watch Over the Moon instead. <laughs> it's it's another animated musical and it is so much better and if you are okay with your heart being torn out and shredded and then stuffed back into your your chest that's fine but um it, honestly it's so much better just go watch over the moon yeah it's uh matt go watch over the moon you should watch over the moon yeah maybe you can finally have an i told you so movie <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> right well that All is right. vivo uh out now on netflix uh if you don't have a netflix account i don't understand you at this point <laughs> um okay i maybe i maybe actually i might admire you for it because everyone has netflix and that's a choice um but moving on shall we jump over to the suicide squad the suicide squad <sighs> yes so the suicide squad james gunn's triumphant return to the superhero genre uh we won't go into it because if you it would take too long to discuss but james gunn was let go from marvel a few years ago after the successful release of guardians of the galaxies one and two and his involvement in infinity war and endgame 
over basically a bunch of right-wing internet douchebag trolls dragging up a bunch of his you know past um jokes and humor and he was effectively they tried to get him canceled for it to use the the parlance of our times um and in that time it was all bullshit he was eventually reinstated um because unlike most people who get canceled for the shitty things they've said in the past james gunn has talked at length in the inter interim period of him saying those things uh which to be fair were just really juvenile jokes um but in the interim between that happening and him getting canceled he had spoken about it many times and about how he'd regretted his behavior and he'd apologized for it and he had grown as a person but that is the shortest version of that story you're ever going to hear anyway the, pro the point is that in the interim of being ousted from marvel dc basically immediately hired him and gave him 150 million dollars to make uh, a suicide squad movie a sequel to a loose sequel to david ayer's 2016 film suicide squad uh, featuring many of the same characters and that movie is out in theaters now uh, it features a, a cast of a thousand dc b and c and d list characters uh villains and anti-heroes going on a mission to the fictional island nation of corto maltese not because of the military coup that has unseated the friendly dictatorship but because of the secret nazi experiment that they hold there that needs to be destroyed um and that is basically the whole movie a bunch That's of it. a bunch of misfits a bunch of wisecracking foul-mouthed misfits go to a place to do a thing it sounds a lot like guardians of the galaxy because uh that, i mean i mean yeah we're talking about a movie that uh, is basically, if you can imagine Guardians of the Galaxy with an R rating, that's pr probably pretty close to what we're talking about. Yeah. Basically, am I wrong? I don't think I'm wrong. No, I was just thinking about the R rating. I read, when we came back and I was looking through Twitter, someone that you had retweeted said that sometimes the restrictions of a PG-13 are a good thing. And they said, not referring to anything in particular yeah, and yeah. and the the suicide squad revels in how gory it is it's very uh I, I think this is probably going back to james gunn's sort of slither days where it's very kind of b movie so the horror. interesting oh, if, if, in a way like it, commando if you've ever watched commando so uh, if, if you if you really like want to get a feel for james gunn and his sense of humor you have to go back further than slither i mean i think slither is a really good example of his sense of humor it's very juvenile it's very splattery when it comes to his filmmaking but you have to remember that james gunn's first break in the industry was that he worked for lloyd kaufman and troma for a very long time and i don't know when the last time anyone watched a toxic avenger movie is mm or Tromeo and Juliet, which is one of his first writing credits. But like, those movies are super juvenile. They are super gory and they are super splattery. And they're quite funny. They're incredibly problematic <laughs> on rewatching now, if you ever get the chance. But like, that is where his sensibilities were established. And his sense of humor is, the best way I've seen it put is stubbornly juvenile. And I don't, it sounds like I'm complaining and I'm not, but it's definitely a style and he it definitely revels in just being as splattery and ridiculously violent as possible. Um, this is probably the most James Gunn movie in a long time because of the R rating. Absolutely. I mean, they gave him all the money. They gave him whatever the, the highest rating he wanted. And by all accounts, they said, do whatever you want. Like you can just go and do take this license that is already a little bit problematic for us because of the the big story with David Ayer's version and just do whatever you want. And so he did. And um, for better or worse, it's very much him as a movie, more so than Guardians, I think. Yeah, yeah, like that's probably true. I think I do think there's. It sounds like we're complaining. I'm not. Like, I liked this movie. I'm just not at a point where, like many other people, I'm not, like, over the moon about it. There's lots of people who seem to really love this movie, and I just like it. 
I think it's fine. I think that there's a couple of really good performances. I think there's a couple of really good jokes. I think that the the story for the most part works. There's a number of time jumps that I feel make it feel a bit disjointed. That's an awkward sentence. Um, but overall, I think it's really good. I think that there's only one moment in the entire movie that feels like the studio gave him a note at all. And I think that is something we're celebrating. That just doesn't happen anymore, right? Like movies more than ever are a producer driven medium. And if you wonder why all the Marvel movies feel very samey, it's because Kevin Feige is there to tell them to do the same thing over again, right? This feels very much like DC and Warner Brothers. It's in line with say Aquaman and Shazam and for better or for worse, Wonder Woman 84, where DC and, and Warner Brothers seem to be saying to their filmmakers, like, just do whatever you want. Like, mm-hmm. at this point, we want to be the anti-Marvel, and that means we need to really embrace our filmmakers and let them do whatever they want. Um, I don't think, I think that's a really good thing. I think that uh, it's good to let filmmakers' voices shine through, and I'm glad that James Gunn got to make this movie. I think it's fine. Yeah, I, you know, I agree. I don't uh, disagree. I don't disagree with anything you said. I think there's um, there's it's as a whole, it's a, an enjoyable movie, and it, it's not a it's not a bad movie. It's just I think that the good bits are kind of dragged down by some directorial excesses. Like you mentioned, the time jumps. It particularly for me, the last third. Of the movie the last act of the movie has this instead of running to the, the team kind of fragments off and instead of running it with sort of parallel edits so you could get a feel of the action building to a point it does all of one version and then it rewinds eight minutes and does all of the other one and it starts with this introspective uh looking through an aquarium window and the the pace is just gone like the the um I do think some of the the needle drops felt a bit more like this is the song I want to use instead of this is the best time to use that song in this movie. Um, I do think that there were a couple of, more than a couple of moments where his kind of directorial style just took the wind out of everything. And I would have liked to have seen a, a tighter push and tighter edit and the end is incredibly juvenile and incredibly gory, but some I, I definitely want that sometimes from my movies. If if you're okay going in with that, that's fine. But it's it's really not nothing more than that. There is an interesting uh, moment on a bus where it, it does some emotional backstory for a couple of them at the same time, and that's very sweet. And and it's nice. Someone that said on Twitter that they finally there's a movie that finally knows what to do with Idris Elba. And I, I really got that because I haven't really, there's been lots of movies where I, he's kind of looked a bit uncomfortable. I felt that in, um, what's the Fast and Furious Jason Statham, Hobbs versus Shaw, mm-hmm. kind of just looked a bit uncomfortable. He's fantastic in this. Like he is fantastic. He's, he is uh, just tearing things up and he has these moments of softness, but he doesn't try and pretend that he's good. And um he did really, really well, uh, but particularly for me, the uh, actress who played Ratcatcher 2, Daniela Melchior, was standout, and I really want to see the rest of her filmography now, because she was really, really wonderful, really touching. Yeah, she's the beating the beating heart of the film, really. Yeah. Um, and uh, trivia moment, she voiced Spider-Gwen in the Portuguese dub of Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> Um, that's good to know. But her is quite short, actually. I think yeah. it's pretty much her first American production. But she's she's yeah. really, really good. Idris Elba is really good. I actually thought that Joel Kinnaman was quite good this outing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's Joel Kinnaman is a really interesting performer when the director knows how to let him be a really interesting performer. Because mm-hmm. otherwise he's just a you know a, 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 a big torso with a small head. Just um, he's just a beef a beefcake, but when they let him go he's actually really interesting and he has a really interesting and dynamic presence in a in a film or a show um and i think this was a good example of that um i mean everyone's going gaga over john cena um i think this movie used john cena quite well 
relatively speaking. I think his style of like deadpan delivery either works for you or it doesn't. And yeah. I think it worked. I think it worked in this one. Probably works, I mean, for, the character. <laughs> works for the character. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do also, there's a scene in the middle where uh, for some context, so it's set up, you know, with Amanda Waller as the head of Task Force X and she brings all these characters together and she offers them 10 years off their sentence in prison uh, or death basically to go with this mission um, and most people take the deal and she introduces Idris Elba as Bloodsport by saying he was raised from, to kill from birth by his father anything in his hands is a deadly weapon and then she's like we need to build a team of diverse people this is John Cena as Patriot as a peacemaker, peacemaker. He was raised from birth by his father to kill, and anything in his hands is a deadly weapon. And from that moment on, they have this like really funny uh, um, rivalry that culminates very pretty early in the film as they obliviously kill their way through a camp full of allies, uh, trying to one up each other, which which ends with what I think is probably the funniest joke in the movie, uh, which I won't spoil for you here. Um, so yeah, it's, I think you know. I guess what I'm trying to say is that James Gunn seems to know how to use his actors and seems to know how to direct them to be the best version of what he needs them to be. There's a really interesting interview with um, David Dasmalchian, uh, who plays Polka Dot Man, where apparently there's a scene in the film where Polka Dot Man like, is clearly like a bullied figure, uh, not only by his mother, who's that's a whole other story, but like by the world. And apparently when he was being directed in that scene, James Gunn just told him to like, dig his toe into the ground and, and look at his foot. And he said that in that moment when he did that, he just felt like he was 12 again. And I find stuff like that super interesting. Because um, you can really feel that like childlike, you know, bullied, defeated attitude coming out of him in that scene, especially. Yeah. And his, he... and, and his arc in the film for, you know, pays off pretty nicely. Right. Um, because of that i think because of how good he is in the and defeated he is at the beginning i think his, his arc pays off really nicely um and it's just nice that one thing that's another thing that's really good about this movie and i'm sort of rambling so feel free to interrupt me simon but like is that for better or for worse every character in the movie does have an arc like there's no one at the beginning who's still there at the end who doesn't have some kind of complete arc uh, there's I, one there's one exception which one? <laughs> Which one are we? I, I, I like, it's a minor thing, but there's a post-credit scene. That's all, that's all it's worth uh, remembering. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to be fair, he's not technically there at the end of the story because he's taken out of the story so early. But uh, <laughs> in the movie proper, all the yeah. main characters have an arc. And that's impressive because that often doesn't happen in movies. You have a big ensemble, you focus on two or maybe three of them and the rest are just sort of along for the ride. But this is a team of like, depending on the point in the movie, anywhere from, you know, three, five to 10 characters. And all of them have arcs. Even the like Amanda Waller. So, mm. so in the comic books, Amanda Waller is this sort of, she manages task force x and she will do whatever it takes she is completely amoral and in this movie even her aides have a complete arc she's probably the only character who doesn't have a complete arc because she's kind of the anti-captain america she's a totally static she's one of those characters you drop into a story to see how the other characters react to her uh not because she's going to develop in any way she's mm -hmm. a developed character um so, so yeah, the, just to finish my thought, it's it's a good movie with good performances and good people directing, at least. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the side characters, like you know Ratcatcher Two and the Polka Dot Man, and interestingly King Shark, end up kind of being the MVPs of the movie, yeah. even if they're not the central focus of the story, because James Gunn seems to know how to handle those misfits best. Well, what what James Gunn does well that. I'm going to be really interested to see what DC does now because he he has what Joss Whedon has, which is 
the ability to direct an ensemble with equal sort of light on everyone, which is a really hard thing to do. Yeah, and, uh, and unlike, direction, he's, and, he's got a really good skill for that. And unlike Joss Whedon, he's not canceled for being an asshole. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, that's a whole problematic, different story, isn't it? The the um, but you're I, totally I'll right. Be, like I'll like the, very... the the ability to 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 direct an ensemble effectively does seem to be quite a rare one, and I think in yeah, a lot of cases. It's that same thing I just mentioned that like you you have an ensemble, but you then focus on like two or three or maybe four characters if there's a couple. Yeah. Um, and James Gunn seems to know how to just direct an ensemble and give everyone a moment. He or does. Two. So he's coming back to Marvel for Guardians three, and then I will be really interested how much money, how many trucks of money DC park at his door to go right, just do do more for us because. DC have not had the best of luck with their universe of movies. And to have one that is generally really well received, like critically and um, commercially, it's it's doing pretty well. And DC need that win. They needed that win. And they, they need someone with a voice that's going to help them with their big, if they're going to take on Marvel at their own game. But saying that, it's really interesting what you mentioned about um, Warner kind of approaching the directors as being a bit more in power than the Marvel directors. And we've seen from Aquaman had, I love Aquaman as a movie because it's got such great horror elements from James Wan, is that the This director? is James Wan, yeah. Right. But so, not, not only that, but um, oh, now I'm going to bring him up, but I've totally blanked on his name. But the, the gentleman who directed Shazam, uh, who is also a horror director like there's some pretty blatantly horror things david f sandberg that's his name um there's some blatantly horror-ish elements in shazam as well and that movie is super weird in the best way and um what was the other one and birds of prey birds of prey is also a movie that is super weird in the best way yeah um and i think when they when they when they let when they let their filmmakers do their thing, mm -hmm. I think that their more recent output, although there have been a few misfires, mm -hmm. their more recent output has been far greater than their earlier, we must conform to the Zack Snyder yeah. aesthetic and tone universe. Since yeah. they've sort of let people start running wild, which really sort of started with Aquaman, really, um, mm. I think it's been far more successful. Um, you know, and even because it's really, I mean, what Wonder Woman 84 has really been the only misfire since they loosened up a bit. Since since the higher ups at Warner Brothers changed and they loosened up a bit, Wonder Woman 84 has really been the only misfire for me, I would say. Yeah. Um, which is a shame because uh, I still think that the first Wonder Woman is one of the better uh, DC movies. Maybe it's the best. Maybe the yeah, best. It's the, it's the best for me. Yeah, definitely. I, I do think if they have the guts to follow through with this idea of getting very sp um, different directors for each of the projects, even for different Suicide Squad movies, like someone mentioned today about making a, a series of movies and each one have a very different director, I think it's a great idea. It would be a lot safer for them to drive a truck of money up to James Gunn and say, okay, BR, Kevin Feige, like guide our movies have an overview of our movies so i can't obviously speak to anything that's happening at warner brothers but and i and i will say this by preface what i'm about to say by saying that i really like james gunn i think his output is incredibly consistently good um i kind of hope they don't do that <laughs> you know i kind of hope that they just keep picking interesting directors and saying i hey, just see what you can do like i sincerely hope they have five movies on the books for the next year and change one more this year and four next year. When's um, Flash out? Is that next year? That's the one that's next year, I believe. Hang on, I can just look up the schedule. And it might actually, I might be wrong, it might actually be four next year and one in 2023. Um, but I kind of hope that they just have picked directors and say, all right, just go do your thing. Uh, we do need these to vaguely connect at some point, but just do, do what you're going to do. Just do what you're going to do. So the, the Flash director is the director of It, 
chapter one and two and mama as well so again they've gone with a, a horror director for yeah andy, andy machete mm-hmm. um david f sandberg is back for shazam fury of the gods so the next um the next dc films that are on the books are uh matt reeves the batman and matt reeves is uh well known for directing uh the second two of the, the recent planet of the apes trilogy um jean collet serra who directed uh recently jungle cruise but also the shallows and the commuter and non-stop and a whole host of really high grade b movies b action movies is directing the rock in black adam andy machete is directing the flash james wan is back for aquaman 2 and david f sandberg is back for shazam 2 so Dude, that's a really interesting slate that's a really interesting slate and it's funny i remember mentioning to you last night i was like uh oh, DC has five movies planned in the next like 16 months. And then I realized that Marvel has 10. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, it all sounds exhausting now. Um, but my hope is that they do keep on with this sort of anti-Marvel formula where they just let people run wild and don't really worry about continuity until the, until someone's like, you know what? I want to make a movie with, with Aquaman and Batman. And then they make someone and they just do it and they don't really worry about the continuity. Like, it doesn't have to be and to be fair marvel's continuity is not as tight as a lot of people will tell you that it is and so they retcon their way through their entire universe mm-hmm. um but i just hope that they just play it fast and loose with the continuity and focus on making good super weird movies mm-hmm. that's what i want big bright colorful weird that's what yeah. i want from movies Creative, creative and fun. Those, those are really two elements that I really react to. And, and honestly, to be fair, I put off watching Aquaman for a long time because I was pretty burnt out on superhero stories. And um, when I finally watched Aquaman, because it's so creative and it's so dynamic and it is, every time you think it's reached the peak of where it's gonna go, it just adds like a whole new layer and it's a, it's such a pleasure to watch. It's a really, really good, interesting movie, and I would love. Well, we're talking about a movie that that manages to maintain geography in the big final battle, which takes place underground with no visible landmarks. So <laughs> that's like, it's it's impressive, uh, and it's weird, and it's colorful, and I really enjoy. And it has Julie Andrews playing a Leviathan, which is just chef's <laughs> chef's kiss emoji. It's perfect. Of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I in general, I'm I'm really intrigued and happy with the way that DC uh, movies are trending, and I hope they keep doing it. Um, I just to sort of come bring it all full circle. I I really like this movie. I don't love it, but I do think it's really good, and I do think it's worth seeing and celebrating. I think if you asked me to rank the movies, it would be in the top five, but not near the top of DC movies for me. I think it'd probably be like four or five would be my guess. Right. And maybe I'll think about that for later next week. Um, right. I, I like uh, it less, less than you, I think. Um, I, I don't think as a whole, it really, I don't think the, the good really outweighs the problematic, but it's not a bad movie. It's just fine. It's just totally right down the middle average. And yeah. I, it, it's, it's very, very superficial. And I, I always kind of listen to how much I want to rewatch something. So if I watch something over and over and over, I know that there's there's something in there that is creative and fun and interesting. And I I have no need to ever watch Suicide Squad again. And uh, I've watched a lot of gory movies. A lot of the movies that it's aping, I've watched. Uh, or, or using his influence, I should say, that I, I've watched and I have rewatched many times. And I've watched the first Guardian so many times. It's one of my favorite MCU movies. And this just didn't have that spark for me, didn't have that that warmth or creativity for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fair. I think it's interesting that as with, uh, I'll maybe it to the same degree, but as with Vivo, we're, we're not in the minority on this one, but we're definitely not. But there's a lot of very, uh loud praise of this movie mm-hmm. and I, I i i get it but i don't necessarily share it i just think it's fine i think it's good i think it's a solid three out of five you know yeah. if uh, if is a 
quite a long time ago now, I stopped giving out in my, I only do star ratings on Letterboxd, not on the site. Um, but I decided quite a while ago now that I would only give out whole stars. So like one to five, no halves. I think if I was still giving out half stars, this might be a three and a half. But as it stands, it's just a three. Because um, I, I acknowledge that a three and a half is just a really good three. So it's a three, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's funny. I made this choice because I keep seeing, I actually have a really hard time when it comes to rating films. Like I enjoy talking about films, but I actually have a, quite a hard time narrowing down the wider the scale is, the harder I have, harder of a time I have narrowing it down to a rating. And I have friends and colleagues that I speak to who are like, yeah, the movie's an 87 out of a hundred or it's a 57 out of a hundred. I'm just like, how do you come down? Like, what scale do you use? Someone to come, yes. Sorry, go ahead. To just to come down to such a specific number. I can barely give movies yeah. a one to five. You know, so like... Someone who using the five scale on Twitter, uh, a, a professional reviewer, gave Suicide Squad 4.7 out of five. And I was thinking about that for a long time. Like, 4.7. How do you... What makes it slightly higher than a 4.6? Not quite a 4.8. Like yep. it's completely arbitrary. And like to be fair, maybe I should just engage with these people and be like, tell me how you do this. But yeah, there's a there's a guy on TikTok who I follow who like when he actually gives reviews, he's like, Yeah, it's a three point eight out of five. And I'm like, How do you come to three point eight? Like, why not three point five? Why not four? <laughs> just to, like <laughs> Anyway, that's a, that's a whole other discussion. That's all, that is, yeah, ratings is a whole new yeah. thing. The thing is, and I think that the you know. I blame Rotten Tomatoes for a lot of this, but one thing to keep in mind, folks, is that when you're listening to us talk or any critic uh, or reviewer or enthusiast talk, the thing is that it's I think it's important to be able to make up your own mind and you should ignore our ratings and just watch things for yourself. That's that's my advice 100% of the time. Just because I don't like something doesn't mean you won't. Just because I love something doesn't mean you won't. And you should make up your own mind and... Just remember that Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and, and all of those things are only measures of consensus, not of quality. And as with Vivo, like I said earlier in the show, the, um, you know, Vivo's sitting at about 88% on Rotten Tomatoes and we're in the 12. And that's going to happen. And it's going to happen the other way too. There's, there are movies that are rated like 20, 30, 40% on Rotten Tomatoes that I adore. And... I Ghost Rider Spirits of Vengeance, 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Genuinely my favorite Marvel movie. Yeah. Uh, so make your own choices. Make your own decisions. <laughs> Form your own opinions is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, that's very much like Suicide Squad. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we can come to some sort of conclusion that, yes. uh, although to be interesting, not that I want to launch into a further discussion, I do think it's interesting that we didn't talk about Margot Robbie who, for the record, I believe is born to play Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah. um, but just for the record, she is great. And Peter Capaldi is clearly having a great time as well. Mm -hmm. That's the end of my sort of wrap-up notes. Um, but yeah, Suicide's, Vivo's not great, and Suicide Squad is probably going to be good for most of you. That's that's my wrap-up for the show. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Good yeah. summary. Yeah, Margot uh, Robbie is, is probably worth Going to the movie for by herself. I mean, she's so good. So I mean, yeah, yeah, she is. But she's like that in any movie. She's a fantastic actress, and I, I still don't feel she's quite found the the best version of Harley yet in a movie. But God, she's so close. She's so close, and yeah. it, it's lovely. Yeah. So, what have you coming up? What have you got coming up next week? Uh, well, we, for the show, we, so we'll be continuing uh, Fantasia coverage throughout the next two weeks. Um, hopefully lots of reviews and hopefully some interviews as well. Um, we will be discussing the film next week, uh, Nine Days, which I believe is actually already in theaters in the United States, but it's coming to Canada next week and we will be discussing it. And I don't think we've quite narrowed down the other thing we're going to talk about next week. Maybe what if? What's the uh, embargo on? What if? Can we talk about that next week? No, we can't talk about it now, but we can talk oh. about it next week. Next week. Okay, perfect. Um, uh, but there's a couple of other things that are coming out in the next week. 
that we can potentially talk about, but nine days is uh, pretty much going to be on that list. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's going to be, it's Fantasia coverage and other current releases and uh, maybe some other stuff as well. Who knows? Who I, knows? Feel like, I feel like we should do, because we didn't even get to it at all this week, but we should do a Green Knight special where I just say one line, hey, Matt, what do you think of a Green Knight? And then you just <laughs> talk for an hour because I feel like you've got that in you. Well, if we can find another day to record this week, maybe we can record <laughs> a patrons-only exclusive episode Ooh. where I speak about the Green Knight for okay. as many as 60 whole minutes. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Yeah, excellent. Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up for today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, and it's at this point that I'm going to give my spiel that I've been giving the last several episodes that we would like from you, if possible, the same thing that every podcast in the world wants, which is please give us a like, please give us a review on whatever your podcasting platform of choice is. Those things help us immeasurably and help us keep doing this, which, and we like doing it and we hope you like listening. So, but if you don't, that's cool too. Uh, we would just like to take this moment to thank you for any and all support. Um, if you'd like to help us in a more direct way, we do have a Patreon and a Kofi, you can find both of those links on my landing page on the website or any page on the website, which is awesomefriday.ca or awesomefriday.ca forward slash Matthew. Um, and yeah, we love you all. Thank you. Thank, Even thank if you're just listening and clicking on us to listen, thank yeah. you very much. We appreciate it. If you'd like to reach us on uh, the easiest way is probably on Twitter. My handle is SmatthewAF. Simon is Temporary Pen. And the website is AwesomeFriday.ca. Uh, AwesomeFridayCA. Again, all these links on the website. And yeah, thank you again for listening. That's the fourth time I've said it, so I'm going to stop saying it now. Have yourself <laughs> a lovely week, and we will see you next, or you will hear us next Sunday. Thanks, bye. Bye.